Good evening and welcome to Success in the City. My name is Helen Webster and I'm with the lovely Sandra Scott. And our fabulous guest today is the one and only Tony Schumacher, who we are so honoured to have on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for giving your time today. I know you're super busy. Um, no, I'm, just because I'm still sitting in the office doesn't mean I'm working. I just come in here to hide, to be honest <laughs> with you. It just it gets me out of the way. And my office looks like a shed. I just want to tell everyone it is in the shed. It just looks like a shed. Oh, <laughs> sitting in the shed, you have to get away from it all. Amazing. <laughs> um, so we do a shout out to the kids, any young people who've been amazing this week. Um, so, San, have you got any young people you want to shout out to? Um, yes, definitely. Artemu, I've mentioned him a few times, I know, but the Ukrainian lad I've been doing some voluntary work with teaching English and his family started school yesterday at St Edwards. So, um, you know, going in hardly not speaking so much English at all. He's had a few lessons over the summer and that's it. Yeah, and going into a big massive secondary school straight into year 10 after what he's been through, you know, really brave. So, and there's a few other Ukrainian children started school all over the city. So uh, a massive shout out to all of those kids. Baby Definitely, hundred percent, hundred percent. Tony, have you got any little people, young people, you want to give a shout out to? Oh wow, um, there's a couple of them I've mentioned them, but I probably should check with them really before I shout out to them. But they'll know who they are if they if they're watching. They're brilliant. And also, my son who was one last week. So I'll have to give him a shout out, even though he should be in bed by now. To be honest with you, but yeah, other than that, I just to say. It's a massive time going back to school. I was remember how oh god, I hated going back to school. I, I was like the worst students in the world, you know. So, but it, it's it's an exciting time to be young. So enjoy it. That's all. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. So I, I I've been looking today. I've been into Claremont School, um, and so I want to shout out to all the kids um, who were there who were hilarious. Um, some of the things they were saying was just hilarious. Um, but they all engaged and they all joined in. And it is, you know, it's tricky for them to, and the transition from being off for six weeks to then going back to school. Um, and it's a STEM school, so, you know, the transition for them is even greater than the transition for all. Um, but I just love first day back at school pictures that all the, all the, all the parents have gone up. It is all like perfect, isn't it? The little school uniforms. So a big shout out to all the kids just going All the ones and dads watching the front door. Hell, you're a bit crackly. Yeah, a little bit crackly there. I'm going to stick with my ears and see how they get on. It's because I've got my earphones. I don't know what's happened to them. Um, So, success this week for you personally. Something that's happened that's been amazing. It can be anything. Dan, do you want to go first? Yeah, yeah, I've had a few, but my biggest success, I don't think I mentioned that, was the jam, the big jam success I had. So this is, yeah, Tony's won a big award nationally. (laughs) (laughs) So this is just my perspective in life. So, um, yeah, so my cousin gave me a load of jams and, like, bags of them. I made loads of pots of jam, gave my, everyone, so then we made more. Then he goes, and everyone loved it, so I've had to give loads of jam out to everyone. So now I've got another batch to do. And then that's it, we're done. That's three big pressure cooks, three big jam pans full. That's it. 
So um, no more jam now for this year. I must have bought 12 bags of sugar at least. <laughs> it was very, very nice jam. It was yeah, very good jam. I, I'm also sure I didn't get a jam, but anyway, yeah. Well, you <laughs> we'll can drop one off for you, Tom. Oh, thank you, thank you. We'll yeah, drop yeah. it off for you and you can take it, take it home for Anna. <laughs> very, very good jam it was. Um, so have you had a success this week, Tony? Um, I think my big success is I've just finished a document that's been hanging over me for about three months, and I've literally finished it about an hour ago. That was who was on the phone to someone. So that that I'm counting that as my success is that I've got a big mad job out the way. Unfortunately, uh, there's another one waiting right behind it. Like, but never wow. mind. You know, countlessly come along. You know. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And it's great when you tick something off your list that's been on for a while. Oh, do you know what? It's the best feeling in the world. And when I made a coffee, especially, um, so excited just to get it done. Uh, like you said, it's been hanging over me for weeks, and it might be something good in the future, you know. So it is quite exciting. Brilliant. Fingers around all the sound. No, yeah. Yeah. Today. Um, yeah, so, so my success is that we, we were able to take Lou, our big interactive playground, into Claremont today. Um, and it was just, we just had a ball, and quite a lot of the students there um, struggled to engage in. Sort of the, the typical classroom, should we say? Um, but they all come in, and then there was like four cool kids who were year eleven who were like, you know, the lads coming in, and they were like, um, and then we had them up playing a maths game, throwing balls at the wall, and they just thought it was ace. So, um, so they were brilliant. They were really good. So massive shout out um, to Claremont School. Okay, so that exciting that Tony's with us today. Tony, we play a quick game of this or that before we then hand the show over to you. And you'll talk, and then Sandra and I'll just butt in probably at the same time because we tend to do that with each other, don't we? Um, so, are you going first, this or that, or am I, Sam? Why don't you go first then? Okay. It's National Reader Book Day today. So, I'm going to use that as my theme for this first one. So, if you were to read a book, would you read fact or fiction, um, Tony? If I'm writing fiction, I read fact, and if I'm writing fact, I read fiction because I'm worried about it getting in the way of what I'm thinking. So at the moment, I'm sorry for leaning away. I'm reading two things at the moment. I'm reading a book called The Volunteer, which is about a hero who went to uh, Auschwitz during the war. I'm reading that. Um, and I'm also reading a thing which will mean not to your kids, but it's called Camelot's End, and that's my fact one. And it's about um, to uh, an old president of America called Jimmy Carter. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I'm writing fiction, so I'm working on a fact thing and I'm working on a fiction thing. So when I'm doing one, I do the other. Because if I if I do the fiction one while I'm writing fiction, I'm always worried that I'll start copying it. So. Oh. I stay clear of it kind of thing and I just focus on one thing. So that's what I'm doing at the moment. I always felt, I always felt sorry for Jimmy Carter because he was now he did all, put all the groundwork in for the release of the hostages and that's then right. Ray went in and took the credit for it. Didn't right. he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is all about uh I don't know if you remember Teddy Kennedy, who was the youngest of the Kennedys, who um was um basically Plotting behind Jimmy Carter all the way through, trying to get rid of him, even though he was supposed to be his mate. It's very good. Very recommended. Oh, brilliant. Ooh. So I know some people who can read two books at once. I can't do that. I've got about five on the go, hell. <laughs> so <laughs> funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, no, I have to read the book and I have to read it to the end, even if I hate it. I have to no, read it to no, the I don't end. do that. That's one thing I don't do. I never, I never, I always think like, you know, I've only got so many hours in the week, like, and I always think if if I'm not enjoying it, it's gone, kind of thing. I'll give it a good go, like, I'll give it all the pages or something like that. But I always think there's, all, there's bound to be something else out there that I want to get into, you know what I mean? I, I guess that FOMO in case it's going to turn dead good at the end. Yeah, there is that as well. A wish, yeah. come on, and then I read it and I think, stop doing that. Yeah, yeah. I do yeah. that thing about it. I even do that when I'm writing. If I'm writing a book, because I've written three novels as well, um, and I've got two on my desktop, that um, I just got bored when I halfway through and knocked on the head. So we've got like 50,000, 60,000 words. That you just get fed up with, you know. And there's Ronald there saying, I'm glad it's a book and not a Kindle. Ronald, I hate to tell you, mate, but I've got my Kindle as well on the far side of my office as well, so don't shout at me. And my uncle, this is my uncle Ron. Oh, my uncle Ron, um, Sorry, Ron. He reads all the time, and his favourite shop is Waterstones in there. Yeah, I, I bought that in Waterstones the other day, uh, Brothers in Arms by James Holland. So I bought that and was still with the other day as well. Like, I haven't started that one yet. So I do love a book. I, do I love, love, love authors. Authors reading all the time. I love oh, that. Fun. And so well read. Fabulous. Yeah. Brilliant. Go on, Stan, your question. Okay, so my question is, writing a novel or a script for a televised show, drama or, or a Radio 4 play, for example? Yeah. What do I like the most? Yeah. Um, from your point of view as a creator from a creator forget yeah. the money just doing it for yeah. sheer fun it's writing for the radio writing the plays for the radio I knew it was going to be that you can go anywhere with a radio play you can do anything with it the people who make them with you are incredible they're like um, they make like sound into anything in the world, you know, and anything that, like, like I, can, I can be in a spaceship or I can be in a taxi cab. I can just write absolutely anything and they'll make it work. Whereas, like, if I say, if I go to the BBC and say, I want to have a massive explosion and destroy, like, 15 Range Rovers, they'll go, there's no chance that's not happening. Yeah. If I go to Radio 4, they'll go, yeah, happy days, we'll just blow them all up, you know. <laughs> so it's like, it's great. You can I can go to Mars and it, it doesn't matter. So radio any day of the week. The mesmerizing some of the plays as well, aren't oh, yeah. they? If you have time to hear it, sort of, you know, and you just think, and you can listen, and straight away you're captivated. You yeah. know, if I was flicking through a station, they are oh, fantastic. Really are, really yeah. are. The only thing I, the only problem I've with radio for, and I absolutely love them, and I've said this to them many times, is that there aren't enough voices like yours on it. That's the problem, is that there's too many people talking about, you know, uh, middle-class places, the Cotswolds and all that kind of stuff, whereas I think Radio 4 should be for everyone, you know. Well, um, this is why, and we'll speak about this in a minute, when we do, when you, you know, take the floor, really, one of the questions, that's what I want to talk to you about, and it's about our whole programme. This whole show was created to show local people that local people do cool stuff. Yeah. You know, we are volunteering or achieving all day. we have all kinds of people on here who've done all kinds. So, you know, you, there'll be a lot of people interested in this when it goes on YouTube and in the podcast, mm -hmm. etc., who are interested in doing what you're doing. So I'm hoping we're going to talk about that a bit later. Um go on, hell your go. Okay, so I'm gonna take it down a level now. Okay. okay. Chunky chips or skinny fries? Oh, um, it's oh you see again, I've got two answers here. You see, it's chunky chips. 
if it's anything that I'm sitting down to eat properly. But it's skinny fries if you're out and about in it. Do you know what I mean? Like if it, if I'm starving, like and I'm away from home and I just need something there and then, I'm all over the skinny fries because the thing about skinny fries is you can drag them out, can't you, for an hour? Do you know what I mean? Whereas like if it's chunky chips and they give you five, and I'm sitting somewhere and I've only got to go back to an empty hotel room. I'm just, oh, you know, because I've got to make these chips last me for four hours, and it's just a nightmare. So, skinny fries if I'm not in Liverpool, and chunky chips if I am. What about you, Sam? Okay, well, I'm abandoning my question now over to that, and I'm going carrying on with the theme. Chips and gravy. Skinny fries, hands down, there's no choice. Really? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Canadian. Like with meat, and no, because they're proper French, aren't they? So I yeah. like that meat or a little sauce or something. I love it. I know I like the little, I like the petit pois as well. <laughs> I like little peas and little chips. Yeah, I like that. So what I was going to say was if we are having proper chippy chips, Tony, are we having them with gravy or curry sauce? No, it's just gravy in it. It's just gravy in it. You know, it's very um, yeah, yeah. When you are away from home, it's happened to me in London, and I said, Oh, and if you ask, and they she went, I'll give you a cup of curry sauce, but I refuse to put it on the chips. Really? Like she just because she was like, uh, and handed me the sauce like that, and they didn't have gravy, they just thought, and the whole chippy went, and I went like that deliberately and made a big production of it and got off. <laughs> No, getting the old day every day, it's just that simple, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, we've got time for one more, Hel. Yeah, we've got a quick one. Um, okay, so I'm going to do about, um, you sort of pinched me question a bit there, Sam, my first one. Um, so, writing for TV or theatre? So, like a theatre show or a TV show? Um, Tony? Telly, I think, only because I haven't done theatre yet. I've written a play which I'm hoping to get on next year with um, a couple of the actors who are working with and responding. But um, telly, oh, I'm saying this now again, because you can do so much with theatre. You know, you see some amazing theatre, like, and, and really adventurous and imaginative stuff, you know. But uh, just bringing it down to the basics. Telly goes to pay better. There you go. Yeah, there you go. What about you, Stan, if you could write a play? Yeah, amongst my published works, the ones <laughs> I we're doing. Yeah, no. Okay, if I could write for theatre or TV, um, I imagine, I could be wrong, Tony, and you could correct me on this, theatre would be the least the less challenging of the two. Is that right? I don't know, really, because, like, if I write something for the telly, um, I don't have to look at people as as they're watching it. Do you know what I mean? Whereas, like, if I've written something for the theatre, like, say, if I've written something for the everyman in Liverpool, like, I'm sitting six foot away from the people who are watching it, and that would just be a nightmare, you know? And I've been in a couple of plays. I've done a little bit of bad acting over the years, and I've been in a few plays. And it's terrifying, whereas telly's just a job, you know what I mean? So I, I don't know, actually. It's a really hard one, that one, I think. I think I'll go for telly again. Yeah, I don't know, Helen, because I haven't created work for either. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
I just want to. I'm dead excited. I'm just ready to hear what Tony's got to talk. Yeah. So I think I think I think we we've done all this and that. We're going to cut it a little bit short because we're going to give Tony more time. I think. Um, So Sam, I'm going to let you introduce Tony and how you know him and 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 how it all came that he's giving time on our show. Yeah, so obviously, as you know, I'm absolutely ecstatic we've got Tony on the show today and I've been trying to get him for some time and we were very fortunate because obviously you were here, there, everywhere, up and down the country, having to speak at all kinds of events, as Anna was telling us. I was very, very fortunate to work some time ago, um, quite some time ago now, I couldn't tell you how many years ago, uh, with Anna, who's Tony's partner, and you've got Duncan, the little baby. Now, Duncan, yes, yeah, yeah. And Anna, Anna teaches a foreign language. Well, she taught English in Spain. Actually, her Spanish is excellent. And she also teaches a bit of Spanish. And she's a gorgeous, gorgeous, lovely human being, a wonderful teacher. And we just hit it off like a house on fire. And we both what about you, writer, by the way, as well? She's a very, very, very talented writer for calling. Yeah, yeah. That's typical of her. Not so much. I even knew she did that because she's so <laughs> humble as a person. Um, and we've always kept in touch over the years, really. And she went to work at the uni for a bit. And then, um, and then she um, went, you know, she went on. And now she's looking after um, Duncan. So I'm always trying to get her to come and do a bit of teaching for me and my business, you know. And I was going, we can fit it around you, Anna. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll sell it. I'll make sure to sell it when I get in. She's been very good and she's tracked you down for us. So um, we're absolutely delighted to have you on the show today, Tony, because... Um, oh, you know, you're massively accomplished, but also I'm aware of part of the long journey you've been on. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the reasons um, we wanted you on the show today is, if you don't mind, is to talk to us about your journey and how you came, where you come from and how you've got to where you've got today. Because a lot of people think they write something, they send it off, it gets accepted. They don't realise you've got a lifetime of experience and the processes you've gone to um, to become published and as successful and award-winning. And then obviously at the end, we want this to lead to how the hell you got Martin Freeman to do it, okay? <laughs> so take it away, please. We will interrupt you because we'll be going there and we'll have loads of questions. Don't worry about it, don't worry about it. Honestly, it's good, yeah. It's great. <laughs> how did I get started? Yeah. In, like... I mean, if you take it back to when I was a kid, we alluded to it before with um, school, the first day of school, you know. My mum used to tell a story, and I can remember this, but my mum used to tell a story, God, she's no longer with us now, but she used to tell a story about on the very, very, very first day of school that I went to St. Aloysius in Hyde, and um, my mum got me dressed and put my little uniform on, you know, and this was in the days before you took a photo with your front door, you know, so she just led me out. <laughs> and um, I grabbed hold of the door knocker. We had a door knocker about, like, three foot off the floor. You know, you used to put your letters through. Yeah. I grabbed hold of this door knocker, and I wouldn't let go of it. It was only four, four and a half. And I wouldn't let go of this door knocker. And I screamed for hours. Didn't want to go to school. Did not want to go to school. Screaming all night to the door. And she was having to pull me fingers away from the door. And Mrs. Redhead, who lived next door, she stuck her head up for the commotion. And she said to me, oh, I don't worry. She said, he'll be all right tomorrow. Once he gets there, he'll love it. It went on for two months. Every single morning, I didn't want to go to school. I caused murder in the street. <laughs> All the other mums, my poor mother was mortified. All the other mums every morning, like, go, oh, God, up for you, know, and all this, like, and I oh. amazing. And I, I'm sad to say I hated school. 
all the way through, from the minute I joined till the minute I, I finished when I was 16. And I think it was down to, I was not a natural learner. I couldn't get my head around learning stuff. So like, you know, the only thing I did was read. That was the only thing I read books. That was the only thing. But when it comes to maths or geography or history or um, countless other things, I just couldn't do it. I had no way to um, take information in. And to be honest with you, I've had a conversation with me accountant this afternoon. She's trying to explain why I owe that. You know, I've only paid it last week. And I can't get me heads around it. She's been actually <laughs> the poor woman, right? Is spent about three hours with me this afternoon trying to explain to me that. And she's wasting yeah. the time, and I keep telling you, wasting your time because I'm not a person who can learn that stuff. Yeah, you'll get bills for that, Tony. Just let them get on with it. I don't know, but I ain't signing checks for stuff, you know what I mean? So, like, I'm questioning everything. But the point is, is that um, over those 16 years, because I wasn't a natural learner, I started to think I was thick. And when you start to think you think, that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And it did with me. I just become thick. I just told them thick. So I must be thick. And people would tell me I'm thick. I used to have teachers, very different time when I went to school. But teachers, they give you the dig and tell you you're thick, you know. Yeah. And like you go, well, I must be thick. And I left school with two O levels, um, C in geography, which they give you just for finding the. Hey, I got a C in geography. Everyone got a C in geography. Honestly, everyone got a C in geography. Uh, the caretaker got a C in geography. Um, and I got an E in metalwork for making a poker um, for a fire. We didn't even have a fire. Do you know what I mean? But I got a C for making a poker. Um, I've still got it as well. Did not the poker, not the, the E in all level. But um, so I come away and thought it was really daft and just worked on the, the, the premise that like education wasn't for me, no qualifications, and that's it, that's who I am. And I ended up working for a roofing company, labouring for a roofing company, and the boss of that roofing company was a fella called Dave Queso. And it's this thing about where if the right person comes into your life at the right time, it can change everything. And Dave's the reason I'm sitting here. I still see him occasionally. I still, you know, we still go for a pint very occasionally. You know, he's 80 odd now, Dave. But um, and the thing that Dave did with me for some reason was he just saw that if it was the right thing, I'd be all right with it. The things for me, I'd be all right with. It. And my thing was current affairs. He started asking me about current affairs and asking me to go away and learn stuff. And we didn't have the internet then. Yeah, we barely had electricity. So I would go away and just read newspapers or read books and stuff on the back of Dave's questions. And, like, if I didn't get them right, he used to give me, he'd dig me as well. But basically, he spent my life getting punched in the arm. Um, and you know, if I didn't bother learning it, he'd, he'd give me a crack, you know, and say, go away tomorrow and find, tell me about Nelson Mandela in the morning or tell me about, yeah. you know, the European communities it was then. Go away and tell me about that. And it, it kind of stimulated my mind. And then when the time was right, he said to me, okay, go and travel. And I went away and I travelled and I spent years travelling, you know. And, um, and that was where I think, although I didn't start writing straight away, I think that was the place where I started laying the foundations for what I do now, you know, listening to stories and telling stories and stuff like that, you know. And where did you travel to? Well, 
initially, um, around the Caribbean and America, I spent a while uh, traveling around America on Greyhound buses with my best mate. Did that a few times, to be honest with you. We went to Canada for a while. And just doing like crappy jobs, you know, like working in laboring or farming or in bars. And then I come home and um, I met a girl I used to go out with and she said, why don't you go and work on the cruise ships? So I went away to work on the cruise ships. And I just, I went out there and, and that was where, I think the cruise ships was where I found my voice because that gave me a bit of confidence you know, meeting people from all around the world and living with people from all around the world and um, brilliant people, you know. And, and then one day, the manageress at the shop, there used to be a fashion show on a Saturday, and um, when all the passengers would all get on, there'd be a fashion show, and they used to have all the dancers who'd model all these clothes and stuff, you know, and expensive watching all this, and they'd walk out and be this auditorium and about six, seven hundred people in the back of the ship, you know. And they walk around to Vogue by Madonna for half an hour. Like, and she'd had this idea, uh, the manager, Jean, uh, come up with the idea of instead of just having them walk around, have someone tell people about the stuff that we were selling and stuff. She said to me, that's your job, like, you're going to have to do it. And I didn't want to do it. And she said, well, if you don't do it, I'll send you home. And I'm shy. I know, but it's true. Like, because to do all this, people think I'm not shy. But if we were in the room, I'd be in the corner. You know, but because of this, I think it's my job and I can do it, you know. So she said to me, you've got to do this thing. And I had to get up with a mic in front of like 700 people. And I wrote a little script, you know, like this is, these, these frocks are from Givenchy, you know. And, I started, and it was really like, it was, that was what it was like. I was terrible. But then over time, I thought, this is just painful, you know. So I thought, I'll start trying to make the dancers laugh. And I started like putting little things in and, trying to make it and I got more confidence and I learned how to, to publicly speak, you know. Mm. That was part of this thing as well that I do now, you know, I learned that skill as well. So it's funny how it all come from Dave, really. Just a strange thing. That's one man, you know, changed my life completely. He obviously saw something in you and saw you in yeah, I think he's just bored, you know, and he got this. <laughs> You know, daughter, oh yeah, I'll do some experiments on him. Get him to go to this tonight to research Nelson Mandela. Yeah, I, th <laughs> I definitely think travel um, broadens the mind. And I think, um, you know, the human condition transcends borders, um, etc., social class, etc. And I think once you once you meet people, you, you, you know people and, you, you know, so many and that. I know, I think a lot of people from Merseyside historically did go to sea. And um, in my experience in the airlines, I worked with a lot of people from Liverpool down in London and that. And travel, it, you know, it's a great, great thing. But you know what? We always come home. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'll listen now. I'm 55 now. And going to land, no, we're getting a cob on. Do you know what I mean? I'd, like, I'd never go anywhere again. No. But I think for me, you know, and I always feel, I always feel a bit bad about it when, like, I, I always think that young people feel we have to go away, you know. Like you don't, if you don't want to, don't do it, you know. But like yeah. for me, I always, I think it was the making of me. It definitely was. But, yeah. Also, Tony, I'm a age yourself, and there wasn't much work. No, so, well, yeah, totally the right. opportunities. Then the only way you could get on really was to go away. Mm -hmm, totally right. Go up, you know. It was the way people who did well, but they were very much in the minority. And, yeah. And you know, so I, mean, I was struggling. Like, I mean, like every time I come home, I go away for like six, eight, nine months or something like that, and then I come home, 
And I just end up working not somewhere terrible because I always got something out of it, but I'd end up like driving a forklift or loading newspapers on wagons or taking ditches or whatever, you know. And they were all like, you know, what we would call terrible jobs. But actually, in reality, I met brilliant people, you know, and I had like great times with people and stuff. Well, I bet your work's giving you um, material, if you like, giving you things. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. It has. But not so much like as in I'm copying the material, but I used to just love the people who I worked with, you know. I'm still mates with loads of them. Like when I worked at the tip, um, the council tip, you know, it was one of the best jobs I ever had. Forget like like working in a beach bar on the Cayman Islands. It was like it, working at the tip and my goal was just fantastic because I was working with these four fellas, five fellas. It was just brilliant. Like yeah. funny, intelligent guys, you know, and it was a joy. I loved it very much. So I can imagine. And so, when did you first decide, right? I'm going to write something and I'm going to send it off, and I want it to be created into something or published. And what were the first things you did? Well, I always wanted when I was at school. When you go back to that time at school, the one thing that I did was reading, and the one thing I wanted to do was be a writer. And I used to love. It used to be like on Saturday afternoons, there was always like, there was like sports on BBC One, sports on ITV, yeah. which I love sport, by the way. But there was always films on BBC Two. Because we only had like three channels when I was a kid. And I, I loved the films. I just loved the films. And so I was obsessed with that kind of thing. I loved, like my treat was staying up on a Saturday night, you know, and watching like Clint Eastwood or something like that. I just loved it. Um, and I wanted to write... But it goes back to that thing that I just thought I was thick. You know, so I couldn't have, well, that's gone. I'm never going to do that. But it was always there at the back of my head. I'd like to do that. I'd like to do that, you know. Um, and then the long story short is I ended up driving a taxi. And we'll backtrack here and there. Like, but I ended up driving a taxi um, for a living uh, after being homeless for a while. I'm going to need breakdown. And I one night a lady got in my cab called Angie Summons. And Angie was an editor of an online magazine. And I got chatting to Angie. And she said, I said to her, what do you do for a living? You know, it was like two in the morning. She'd be out somewhere like I'm driving back. And I said, oh, what do you do for a living? You know, and she said, oh, I edit a magazine. And I said, oh, I'm an editor. And I don't know why I said it. Because I hadn't written anything since I was about 15. I thought, what did, what did you, why is that? What? what did you say that for? And she said, oh, what do you write about? And I just started, I don't know even now, but I just said to her, I write stuff that happens in the taxi. And she said, oh my God, that sounds brilliant. Like what, what can I said, oh, just people get in, you know, and they tell me stories or they just write stuff. And she said, oh, send me some in the morning. And I went, yeah, I will do defo, yeah. And I had nothing. I had literally, I had just nothing at all. It was half past two in the morning. She gave me a business card. She got up the cab and she walked away. And I was like, oh, no, what am I going to do now? So we drove around for about two hours, three hours, thinking, what are we going to write about? Just praying that someone interesting got in the back, back of the cab. But nobody interesting got in. It was awful. I was like, oh, what am I going to do? And I ended up by Sefton Park at about three o'clock in the morning, um, sitting, having, no, it was late, it was about five o'clock in the morning, sitting having a sandwich as the sun was coming up. And um, I bought this bussy from the garage, and um, it was terrible, and I'm eating it. And I'm thinking, what can I write about? What can I write about? What can I write about? And I saw a cat by a tree, sitting underneath the tree. You know, like the big trees in Seven Park. It's all misty and beautiful. 
and you know in the spring and this cat's sitting there and it's obviously it's got a time me butty you know you can probably smell this out of day tuna from like two <laughs> feet and i'm looking at the cat and i'm thinking i'll give him me because it's just terrible while wow, i think it's up to ice about and as i'm looking at him a blackbird dropped out the tree and just hit the cat on the head and it started flapping all around the cat's head and the cat's like what's going on what's going on and then the cat the blackbird just flew straight back up in the tree and the cat looked around and then looked at me and i was like what happened here what what, what was that and I, I, mate, I have no idea you know do you want some butty and i'm just about to give him the sandwich this blackbird comes down again and it's the cat on the head and he flaps around again it's scrabbling at the cat and i can see the cat fighting back and then the, the bird flies back up into the tree and the cat thinks i'm doing one here i've had enough of this forget yourself mate. i'm out of here and it just walks off and i thought go down man's that you know so I sit back and carries on trying to think and it hit me it was like a train just slammed into me head. the story that i was going to write was about i used to be a copper i was a busy for like 11 years i was a policeman and merseyside and I got a job one night, I worked up in Newton Willows on my own, doing response 999 work. And uh, I got a job one night in Newton Willows. And it was an old guy who, um, it was somebody, no, sorry, it was the next door neighbours who did screaming at this cottage in Newton Willows, this like row of cottages. And uh, like three in the morning, so I pulled up at these cottages. And this old fella opened the door. And I'm standing there in the freezing cold, and I say, somebody's reported screaming. And the old guy goes, no, no, there's nothing here, there's nothing going on. And I looked past him into the front room of the house, and there was a little old lady sitting with a tissue, dabbing her nose, and there was little bits of blood on the tissue. And I said, right, mate, you're locked up, you know. And I locked them up, and I took them to St. Helens, Nick, and I lodged them in the Nick. And I went back to the house to get the statements off the old lady for, for battering her, you know. And I said, so listen, you know, tell me what happened. And she said, it's my fault. And I said, oh, I love you, know what? I've been doing this job for like 10 years. It's not your fault. I said, you think it's your fault because he's conditioned you to think it's your fault. It isn't your, it's never your fault when someone hits you. That's the one thing to do. It's never your fault. So listen, let's start with that in mind and tell me what happened tonight. No, 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 lad, it's my fault. It, it isn't your fault. And we go back through this formula about eight times. You know, I've been a Bobby for 10 years, love. I know it's not you know, round and round and I know it's my fault. No, it's round and round and round. And then at the end of it, she says to me, listen to me, she said, it's my fault. I've been battering him for 60 years. <gasps> and tonight's the night he's saying round and it'll be back. Now, that was the bird eating the cat, the, the cat. It was the reversal of what I was expecting. Yeah. And that become the first thing that I'd wrote since I was 15 years old. And I sent it to Angie, who was mad at, uh, editing this magazine, and she said, this is incredible. I'll, I'll publish it. What else have we got? And I had none. And I was like, brilliant. <laughs> oh, I'll become a writer that night. That was the thing. I'll become a writer that wow, night. And that led me to be sitting here doing this. He had in your taxi. I've had some really interesting conversations in taxi, in taxis and things. A lot of very well-educated people who drive cabs and they just—they're interested in humans, aren't they? You've always said, haven't we, that people should um, taxi drivers should, should should write books or do podcasts or stories. The the amount of people in the story. Don't encourage any taxi drivers to do any writing. That's my job, always. 
No, he should. Because you're the client, you're listening, you're learning every single night, you know, every single night. And some of them are studying law, some of them are studying whatever, you know. And everyone has a stereotype about cab drivers, you know, and it's it's seldom true. It's seldom very much so, yeah. So from your um, published in, in, into the magazine, um, how did you progress then um, in, in, into where you are now? Well, I started writing this column for the magazine called The Rearview Mirror. And um, it was basically, I just, I, the minute that I tuned into things, that was, it becomes suddenly, it was like, it was practice, I suppose, in some ways, but it was like just developing your sight almost, you know. The more you think about something, the more you see it. And I started seeing stories and I started, and I, I couldn't stop thinking about, like, oh, that'll be good, that'll be good. Somebody would say something, that'll be good. You know, or I'd see something go, oh, there's a thing. And I used to have, like, piles and piles of notebooks. I still have them now. Piles and piles and piles and piles of notebooks. Knocking around, there's another one. Just full of stuff that I was just constantly, constantly taking down and writing down. And I started thinking about doing a book, like, about these stories. And I was toying with the idea to write a book as a taxi, whatever, you know, and I couldn't quite make enough money to, to pack in driving a cab, you know. I was doing a little bit of stand-up comedy at the time as well, but I was trying to make it all work. And um, and one night I come home, and it was not a terrible garage sandwich. If you're ever looking for a break in life, go to garage at three in the morning. <laughs> um, I come home this night, and I bought this, I'd had the worst night driving. It was just awful. I hadn't made any money whatsoever. No, not an interest that I got. It was just, Terrible, terrible night, like a Wednesday night. And I went home, and um, I used to leave the telly on for the dog. And he liked documentaries, you know, and he's sitting on the couch watching, like, Discovery or Malaysia or something like that. And um, <laughs> there was a documentary on about um, the occupation of Jersey mm -hmm. uh, during the war, but I'd missed it. That was the mad thing. I'd missed this documentary. I'd, and I got in just as the credits started rolling. And I'm feeding the dog this terrible sandwich. And if it hadn't been a terrible sandwich, you would have just gone straight to bed. I would have ate it on the way home, but it was that bad, I thought, I'll give it to him, he'll eat anything. So I'm giving the dog the sandwich, and I'm watching the credits rolling on this thing, this documentary, and it was a famous photo they were using as the backdrop for the credits, which was about, um, they had this photo, it was a propaganda picture of, it, of an English Bobby, or a Channel Island Bobby, holding the door open for a German officer on a car, and as I'm giving the dog the sandwich, I thought to myself, look at him there doing that for them. The state of him doing that, you know. Because although I, you know, I was I hadn't been a Bobby for like five years at this point. Although I hadn't been a cop, I was proud to have been a copy, you know. And I, like, I was thinking, oh, you're wearing that big daft hat and all that. And look what you're doing with the Nazis. Why are you doing that? And um, it was like, I was thinking, oh, it's terrible. But then as I was thinking, and I was thinking to myself, actually, he. He probably said to him, if you don't do this, you know, yeah. mate, you know what, well, we're going to take your kids out. We're going to do yeah. something to your kids, you know. So we started thinking, oh, well, all right, fair enough. Yeah, he's probably doing it to stay alive or whatever. But then I thought, if he's got all that door open to stay alive, what other doors will he open to stay alive? Will he open a door to put Jews on a train to stay alive? Where's the line that you draw to say, I ain't doing that? And I couldn't decide where the line was for me. Like, I did it to protect my family, but 
But would they do it to put the Jews up and say, well, hang on, you might kill my family if I don't do it. It's a real conundrum, you know, because we like to say, oh, no, I'd never do it. But when it's, you know, your, your wife, your kids, your, your brothers, sisters, all of them are going to be on the train if you don't do it. Would you Would you not do it, you know? So I started, and I couldn't make up my mind when it's, it's what I do, you know. So the next morning I woke up and... I took the dog for a walk. I was walking along and I thought, you know what? There might be a short story in this. I'll, I'll write. I've never written this, you know, that kind of thing. There might be like 20,000 words short story in this. And I started writing it and I finished the book. It ended up being about 90,000 words, this book. <laughs> and about two months before that, I'd written an article for a police magazine about mental health. Mm-hmm. And the, it's the maddest thing was I finished the book and about three days later, um, a Bobby who'd read my article sent me an email and said, I really enjoyed your article. It, you know, it made me think about my situation. Um, and I love your writing. Do you have anything else? And I said, well, you know, I, no, like I just write these columns and all this kind of stuff. He said, oh, you should write a book. And I said, well, it's funny you say that because I've just finished the book. He said, well, that's funny you say that. He said, because... I won a competition a couple of years ago to give me access to an agent, a writing agent, a literary agent. He said, but I've never been able to finish a book. Do you want it? Do you want that prize? Wow. And I said, yeah, you know. And like Initially, I said, oh, here we go. You know, this is like shady or all this. And he said, well, look, I've built up a relationship with the agent. He said, I will email him and check. And if he's okay with it, you send him your book. So about... A day later, I got this email off the stage of this guy, and I sent him the book. And then he emailed me back about four days later. And he said, I've still got the email. He said to me, is this your first book? You've got an amazing future ahead of you. And about two weeks after that, HarperCollins bought the book, and I've been a full-time writer since then. And wow. that's all right. It was just pure luck. It all just lined up for me. It's pure wow. luck, you know. And then... Um, that was it. HarperCollins bought that. There were three novels with that character in, in mind. And then to get to the telly, I wrote three novels. And I loved them. And they're great. And I loved them. They, they sold well in America because it was it, he was the American agent, the agent. So we sold them in the States more than in the UK, although they are available um, if anyone's daft enough. And mm-hmm. um, I got a... Um, uh, an email off them and I, I submitted the, the third one. He said, this is great. Like, we'll have another one. We'll have another one of these, the John Ross books to call. And I thought, I don't want to write another one. Like, how daft am I? Like, but I don't want to write another book in a series. Mm-hmm. I think it was Ian Rankin said, nobody ever said to you, your 24th book in the series is the best one, you know. It's like yeah. you're just writing the same book over and over and over again. Yeah. So I thought, oh, I can't. I don't want to do that. So I said to the, the, the publisher, do you mind if I take six months off and see if I can come up with something else? And he said, no, go ahead, do it. So I've come up with all different ideas for books. And before I submitted them, I thought, you know what? I've always wanted to write the telly. Why don't I ever go doing that? So I wrote a script, sent it to a production company. And about a week after I'd sent it to them, I got a phone call off Jimmy McGovern who'd been in that production company and Jimmy had said to the script editor, have you got anything for me to read as he was walking out? And she said, funny enough, I have. She said, I've just printed this script off and she gave him the script and he read it on his way home and rang me 
Dan zit je gewoon voor een pint. Zo logisch, honest to God. Als je me hier, like, it's so lucky. So I went, like, I went for a pint with Jimmy McGovern, because you would. And um, Jimmy, uh, we had a little camera list, he said to me, I'll mention you, you know. He said, I've got a, yeah. a link with a, a production company in uh, London. And, you know, come up with some ideas. So I went away for television series ideas. I went away for a couple of weeks and I come back with three ideas. And by this time, me and Jimmy being on for a pint about three times. And I come back with these ideas. And uh, Jimmy's brilliant. Jimmy's genius, aside from being a genius, is that he's, he can see a story straight away. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy said to me, um, he got these, these ideas in front of him and he went, right, that's your second show. That's your third show. And that's your fourth show. And he said, you are your first show. Go and write your story. And uh, that's what I did. And that ends up being... It is was your claim to fame? I tweeted Alan Sugar about this. Sugar said he had to switch it off because there was no subtitles because his wife couldn't understand the Liverpool accent. If I was, I was like on Twitter straight away. I know he 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 was funny. It was funny how he. He, he tweets it, you know. He, I don't think he's he's totally unaware of the Ferrari cause. Like, I don't think he's got a clue, you know, because he doesn't check it after he's tweeted it. He but, knows because I've tweeted him, Tony. Oh, right. of course he does, of course. He did mention That's you. why he's gone quiet. He was like, I'm not getting involved in there. I'm going quiet. <laughs> Same as I think as well, though, if, if somebody like that tweets something about it, it'll just encourage more people to watch oh, it. Yeah. Yeah. That was the thing. That, that was the thing, you know. I mean, I was on... It blew up. It was mad. Because I, I can't remember all the tweets are back, but I tweeted something back too, Mike, and it just went mad. All the papers picked up on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Martin... I mean, was amazing. Oh, he was incredible. He was more skilled. I find that we I spoke to him on Monday night and I find it weird. Not Monday night, Sunday night. I find it weird now when <laughs> look what Anna's <laughs> Anna's Tony's partner. Anna's Tony's partner, yeah. And, and she doesn't she never understands me. Talk about being misunderstood. <laughs> no, I, I I found that uh, I find it weird to talk to Martin though in his own accent. Because he's so scouse when he's scouse. Yeah, I found it weird because he was a hobbit. Yeah, well, yeah. He had got massive feet. You, you, we never showed them. Never showed them. They're about four foot long, the pair of them, like canoes. I thought he was amazing. Um, but, and one of the things, controversially, really, um, you know, some people felt it showed Liverpool in a negative light, obviously. Well, the Echo did. I don't think anyone else did. But the Liverpool Echo did, yeah. But, but I suppose it was based on your experiences as a police officer, and we've got to acknowledge that. Do you know what? I, when I was a cop, very early on in my career, a Bobby said to me, Colin Rouse, fantastic police officer, and Colin said to me, you are never going to knock on someone's door and tell them you've won the lottery. It's just never going to happen. You're only ever going to deal with bad news. That's what you do. So if you're going to make a show about being a Bobby working nights in Liverpool answering 999 calls. It's going to be like that, you know. But one of the things I set out to do, and I was, you know, explicit when we were talking to the directors who who all were totally into the whole idea, was let's not make it a Liverpool show. 
As in, let's not have pictures of the Liver Buildings. Let's not see the cathedral, you know. Let's not see either cathedral. Let's not see the football grounds with the driving past. Let's make it about a city with people in it. Because every show that's made in Liverpool, it's always got those things in it. You know, there's the ferry in the background. Don't lie, what do I care about the ferry? I want this, this could be set in Wigan for all I care. And it was just that people had Liverpool accents, that was all. So we set out to do that explicitly to show that this is universal, these problems, you know. Yeah, I'm sure every city, every city globally deals with oh, a lot. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was sad because the guy, the police officer, you were saying, Helen, before when we were chatting, the police officer was a, did something to be kind. Mm. Yeah, it, was, it was sort of what you were saying before, how um, when you have the line and people are getting involved with your family and things, you know, how far do you go? And and I think, um, so when I watched it, I was like, oh, um, you know, you didn't show any cool places in Liverpool. You only showed city places. But I <laughs> live in lots of different, so I've lived in Sheffield City Centre, I've lived in Manchester City Centre. And... I used to run pubs. So the characters who were in um, the show, now you've explained to them, the characters who were in the show, and I, and I said the young lad who was the, um, the drug, um, the drug biggest friend. Yeah. He is just a classic lad in Sheffield. He's a classic lad in Manchester. He, you know, he's just, and he, I thought he played the part absolutely brilliantly. Oh, he's incredible, yeah. Um, incredible. He Do you know, he's the lad who, who me and Anna, not well, who, um, Every Christmas he turns up at ours and goes, you want to buy any aftershave, you know? He's like, and he knows that he's to be a Bobby, you know? And it's like, what are you doing coming here selling me this aftershave? You know, like, I've got some brandy here, do you want to buy the brandy? It's based yeah, on him, yeah. he's a trucker and driver just trying to get through life, you know? Yeah. But it's just banging it hard. And that's the thing about, like, there's nobody's, it, like, it was a bit controversial. I thought the big, the, 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 the only controversy that bothered me was that the only good person in the show was a drug dealer, was Carl. He was the only one who had a good relationship with his kids, who had a good relationship with his wife, who, who knew what he wanted in life and was happy. You know, he's peddling misery. And that was what I wanted to do. It was like, he was just, you know, like, it's the idea is that it is, it's it's grounded in the reality of, of people. Because people are more interesting, you know. Don't get me wrong, I love Star Wars, like, but it's, you know, I'm, I'm more interested in, like, the reality of people because people make you laugh every day of the week, whereas telly doesn't. People make you cry every day of the week. Telly doesn't. It might do once in a while, but in the reality is the real people do that. And if you can capture that stuff, capture those moments and try and make them into television, that, to me, is the best thing about it. Like, I love it. No, absolutely. And we were talking earlier about character in the human, and I mentioned the human condition. And that's why Shakespeare's stories can be taught in a modern way today, because okay. the behaviour of those people in, in the works of Shakespeare is still the behaviour and culture of people today. Yeah, absolutely. If, if what's your writing about Tony has got, um, you know, you can transfer the characters, etc. It's got longevity, hasn't it? Your work's got mm -hmm. longevity. Which is everything and that. So are you gonna be I'm in the saying one more shaking Stevens than Shakespeare, I'll be honest with you. Like, <laughs> but, yeah. So um, one of the things you said initially, we haven't got much time, but I, there's just so much I wanted to ask you. We both do. 
Um, one of the things you said um, was you were speaking to, you know, saying to Radio 4, we, more, we need more representatives um, from all walks of life, if, if you like, not just writing about the Cotswolds, you said. Um, and how do we do that? How do we get a voice? You've got to, you know what, you've got to, it's really difficult. I mean, you have people like Jimmy and I suppose me and Sally Wainwright and, and, and you have working class writers who are pushing, pushing, pushing for it, you know. And I do think, you know, for all his faults, uh, Tim Davey, who's the new Director General, well, he's not new, he's been there for a year now, but Tim Davey's the new Director General at the BBC, He's into that, you know. I mean, he's a Dutch pot, sorry, you know, who, 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 you know, who's a young conservative and all of that. But he does see the merit of those voices. And we have to, I'm not saying like that it should be like a Ken Loach film every day. I don't want, you know, I don't want Ken Loach reading the news every night. But at the same time, I do think there should be an equal balance of, of voices and, and times, you know. And, 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 but something to say, uh, how how you achieve that? I think you've just got to kick the doors in. You've got to kick the doors in. It's by the masses as well, isn't it? It's lots of people yeah. standing up and saying, isn't it? So my uncle Ron, who, who, who was listening before, um, he writes. He's, he's still like you know, and he sends emails and things. So when something he doesn't feel something's right, or you know, a particular show's gone off the television, and he just he, he just puts pen to paper all he writes and. and I would say most of the time he gets a response, you know, from people. So, so his voice is heard, you know, and yeah. you can't sit there and whinge and say, like, oh, this is nothing if you're not willing to do something about it. So I think if people do put pen to paper and, you know, um, do do speak about it, then hopefully, you know, more people will um, be, be heard, won't they? I'm expecting a letter off them now after tonight. <laughs> oh, yeah, he sends boss letters, you know, all handwritten. <laughs> handwritten letters are amazing. But also, if we just had the same type of TV all the time, it was like if you think of the 70s, the Terry and Junes, mm -hmm. and, and those type of sort of bland shows, you know, The Good Life, all the, which was a bit radical at the time because they had a goat in the neighbor's garden, you know, all this banal stuff going on. And um, whereas, like, you talk about Jimmy McGovern, you remember his dramas for the rest of your life, you remember those shows. I remember watching. The, um, the respond that you can remember each episode and you know they're hard. Boys the black stuff, you know. It's it's with yeah. everybody. You you watch it once, you you know you know it. Like there's yeah. a thing. Let's just think about something. Uh, we talk about what I read. I read books about the the old days of television. Right, and I'm that boring. Honest to God, I don't confirm this. Like I am so boring that I read these books. And one of the things that I've noticed is that after World War Two, there was a massive influx of working class writers mm. who who, sadly, all male in them days, but it was all working class writers. And what happened was, like, Galton and Simpson, Eric Sykes and all these guys, you know, Joe Orton, all these fellas. And what part of it was, was that the people who were running the BBC had got to know them during the war because they led them during the war and they realised they were intelligent people who had a voice yeah. and had stories to tell. So the minute that the war ended, they went, let's go and get all in. And I think what happened is, is that in the 80s, that got lost. Yeah. I don't know why, you know, I'm not saying let's have a war so everyone can have a go at right, but I'm just saying there needs to be a way that we need to close the gap between the people commissioning and the people yeah. writing, you know? But when you, when you mix people, people are exposed, that's why diversity is good, isn't it? Because you meet all, and you think, oh, that's really cool, and then everyone gets a chance. Don't I tell you, whenever I have a meeting at the BBC or Channel 4 or Sky, I'm at Sky next week, 
Whenever I have a meeting with Sky, I always tell myself it's a bonus because there's nobody like me being in that office for a month or two. And I know that the minute that I start talking, I'll be not just a droning, you know, Notting Hill. Oh, hi guys, yeah, I've written this thing about things, you know, large wine glasses, guys, I've written this thing. Whereas I'll go in and I will smash the door in. In my head, I'm like, I will, I will literally, when I walk out of here, you will be talking about that last hour. And I think that that's what you've got to do. You've got to smash the door in, be it with your writing, be it, you know, you've just got to be that person. And resilience. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, definitely, yeah. You've got to be prepared to have a load of posh people telling you rubbish. Yeah. Yeah, but, but don't, don't give in. Just do not give in. That's the only thing that can stop you. That is literally the only thing that can stop you. If there's one thing to take away from listening to me for 56 minutes, it is don't give in. Because that's the only way you can fail. Brilliant. And I remember Anna saying, oh, when he's right now, I was like, oh, and she's saying, I hope he gets published and blah, blah, blah. And look at you now. So, Mike's listening and he says, if you believe in what you're doing, eventually you'll win through. I admire your determination, Tony, and your level of luck. It's brilliantly interesting. And we've had loads of gorgeous comments from. I know, I've seen them. I've seen them all look brilliant. They've been some really nice ones. Yeah, thank you, everyone. Yeah, so, um, so we're going to do a quick... No, it's amazing. We could, we'll probably have to have you again after you've, you've been published again. Um, a quick shout-out to the grown-ups. Any grown-ups who've done amazing things? Um, Dan, any grown-ups? Tony! Tony! <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to give a shout-out to Des Flanagan, who's listening today, because he's just an ace human, and uh, he gave me some really good news today, so I'm made up for that. Oh, brilliant. He's fabulous. Yeah, um, he is fab and and so Des is writing a book and he, he he's done theatre and stuff like that. So I know that he's put this as a great listen and I know he'll be super interested in it. And we saw him um, play. And we saw him oh. play. Yeah. Um Tony, any any shout outs to grown ups? Uh only the, the biggest shout outs is, is to my wife who got weed on tonight by baby Duncan when she was getting him out the bath. So there's a massive shout out to me for putting up with me sitting in this office day in, day out. A massive shout out there. Well done, Anna. Massive shout out to you. Um, Sam, I also want to give a little shout out to 92 Degrees Coffee as well, because that's at the top of where Sandra and I are offices. It's about two minutes found... walk away from where I am as well, Denise. Right, we've just found the membership, haven't we? Yeah. Oh, we're on to it. Five coffees a day we can have, and we can have two if we don't want the coffee. But if we're not there, we send the other one the voucher so we can both get you. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. And the staff went, are you still excited about it today? And I went, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Massive shout out to all. Um, Uncle Ron says, should I have a chat with the Sunday Times writer from Liverpool, Gillian Reynolds? There you go. Um, so um, a positive challenge, Tony. Can, can you think of a positive challenge for people to do this week or moving forward? A little something that people can just do. Finish something. That's the hardest part. Finish something. That, it's, that's the, anything. Just finish it. It's so difficult nowadays. We're so used to like Instagram and 20 seconds of this and 20 seconds of that. You know, like Uncle Ron there with finishing his letters and posting them off. That's how you get results. Finish something. It, it truly is the way to do it. Amazing. Amazing. Um, so we want to say a massive thank you for giving your time. We know how busy you are, oh, and it's been amazing. Um, and we've had loads of people 
comment and and you know we wish her all the success lee thompson says that was a great chat smash the doors in and make them remember you as top advice thank you tony oh, so thank people take these great little takeaways i think he is lee's a great writer actually so yeah i think he's one of your mates yeah if, so we're gonna ask you tony to um do you have a positive mantra or a little something that you live by that we can close the show with do you have I a little, have a little note on my office at home i have an office uh, at home as well as here the one at home is much nicer than this one and on this note i have a little thing and anna will confirm this and it says you will not be beaten and i wrote it when i was driving a taxi years ago on a market pad and I, I stand by it you will not be beaten and when it's five o'clock in the morning i'm sitting here plowing through notes of broadcasters or actors that's it's there you will not be beaten simple as that amazing thank you so so much massive thank you to you san for thank boxing you. it all off thank you to anna for boxing it all off She's done all the way. I'm going to give you a jam, Tony, to take to Anna. Okay, I'll go for you. Don't forget about you for 92 degrees as well. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Thank you to everyone for listening in, and we'll see everyone next week. Good night. Thank you.